Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. I hope you've had a good day. It's been a pretty fall day, and it's good to be back together again as we study the Word of God. Last uh, yesterday, we had in our second lesson some thoughts from Jeremiah, and we're going to go back to Jeremiah again tonight. So I encourage you to get your Bible and be working your way over to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be there in just a moment as we come together and study some things. Appreciate everyone being with us. Busy times we live in. And you've carved out some time, and that's important, and God recognizes that, and I recognize that, and I thank you so much. I love seeing all these young people right in here like this. You know, it reminds me of a story. There, there was a time when there was a whole bunch of young people all sitting together. Services already started, and a young man came in late and squeezed in at the very end, right beside a pretty girl. Now, he really liked her, and she really did not like him. And all during worship service, all he could think about was that pretty girl sitting beside him. So he took out a songbook and turned to the song, I Need Thee Every Hour, and laid it in her lap. She looked at that song and just flipped over to another song and threw it in his lap and looked down and said, I'd rather have Jesus. <laughs> and so it is. And so it is. You know, it wasn't too much long ago that we communicated through writing letters. This is before cell phones and text and Twitter and Instagram and instant messaging and Facebook and FaceTime, all those technology things. What you did was you took out a piece of paper and you wrote a letter and you mailed it and then you waited and then you waited and you waited for someone to write you back. Much of our New Testaments are letters written to churches. And so letters are an important aspect of communication. I like this little collection of letters that were written to preachers. It says, Dear Preacher, please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> Dear Preacher, are there demons on earth today? I think there may be one in my math class. <laughs> but my favorite one is, Dear Preacher, I really liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was over. <laughs> I know how that is. But when we get to the book of Jeremiah, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah writes a letter. Now, we don't think about the prophets, especially Jeremiah, writing a letter. But he does. And, and if we remember the occasion of the book of Jeremiah, as we mentioned last week, Jeremiah was written during the time period of the Babylonian captivity. It begins before the captivity and carries through during much of the captivity. We remember that the young, the nobles those who had some future about them, they were taken to Babylon. That's where Daniel's written. That's where the book of Ezekiel's written. The poor people stayed behind. Jeremiah stays behind. And in chapter 29 of the book of Jeremiah, he writes a letter to the people that are going to go away. And this is how the chapter begins. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And what's significant about this is that they were in captivity because of God's design. Israel, rather Judah here at this time period had been bowing down to idols and just not following the commands of God. God had sent prophet after prophet to get them to change, and they would not change. So God's wrath came upon them, and you're going to go into exile. You're going to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, while they're there, 
God's not saying, good luck. God's not saying, you're on your own. I hope you learn a lesson. Now, while they're there, God sends a letter. And this letter is about how I want you to behave while you're in Babylon. Now, we remember in other places, particularly the book of Psalms. And let's just come over here and grab this Psalms. This was one of the uh, last Psalms ever written. And this Psalm talks, takes place during the captivity in Babylon. And again, it reflects upon us this concept. In Psalms 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who say, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you with recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rocks. Now that's kind of a tough language there, but he's reflecting upon how they felt there. Now, while they were in Babylon, how were they to act? Well, were they to wait for a chance to break free? You're a captive. You're in a foreign land. Maybe we can sneak out at night. Or were they to overthrow the government? Let's get enough of us together. Let's rush the palace and let's overthrow them. Or like a prisoner where they simply to count the days. Another day, another day, and another day. And what we find over here in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, let's begin with verse 4 now, reading. What God does is God tells them how he expects them to live. And what we find here is a balance. A balance between here and there. And that's going to be the heart of our lesson today as we think about that very concept. Let's read now Jeremiah chapter 29 and begin with verse 4 as we read this letter here. And here this says this way, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city with whom I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and for your welfare as well. Verse 8 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your, do not let your prophets who are in the midst of you and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreamers which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. He says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for your calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. And so what, what the prophet is doing in this letter is God saying, I care about you when you're in exile. Okay, imagine a parent sending their child to the room. You're in trouble. I'm sending you to your room. Go to your room. A parent still cares about that child while he's in the room. And while he's in that room, the parent's caring what he's doing in that room. You know, if that child starts throwing things through the window there, that parent's going to be more mad. And so when we think about Judah being in captivity, God is saying in this letter, there's some things I want you to do. I still have expectations for you. And right there, we need to hit the pause a moment and realize it doesn't matter our location. God has expectations for us. Well, I'm on vacation, and I can just kind of take a vacation from God. No, God has expectations for you when you're on vacation. I'm away in college. God has expectations for you when you're away in college. God has expectations for you when you're in exile in Babylon. That's the point we see with that. Now, notice what we see in this passage here. We see that Judah was to be a blessing to Babylon. In other words, because Judah is there, Babylon's going to be better. Babylon benefited by Judah being there. And the first thing he says is by making improvements. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I don't want you to torch the city. I don't want you to burn down the palace. I want you to be... Now, now realize, as we think about this, that they were in the land of the enemy. They were in a land that did not have the same value system. They did not have the same appreciation for the God of heaven. And yet, while they were there, God expected them to be a blessing. You know, when we begin the book of Daniel, we see some major, not just cultural differences, but we see some major religious differences. Daniel 1 teaches us that they could not eat the food there because it would be against Jewish rules. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, refused to eat the food. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You ever studied what those names are? It's not like taking the name Roger, and then over here in Babylon, this is, the, this is what Roger means in Babylon. Absolutely not. Shadrach, Meshach were connected to Babylonian deities. Abednego means your God has forsaken you. Where is your God? You're over here in our land. We defeated you. And so every time they were called that, blasphemous names, idolatrous names. And then we remember Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a worship service. And they could not bow down because it was being against what God said. They were living in a land that was different than they were. The culture was different. And while they're there, God says, you're going to make it better. You're going to make it better by, number one, making improvements. Number two, you're going to make some good impressions. Look with me, if you will, at verse 7 once again. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Three times you see this word. Seek the welfare of the city, it says. And then it says, pray to the Lord on, beh on its behalf for its welfare. You will have welfare. Three times he says that. Do you know what the Hebrew word is there? Shalom. Peace. Prosperity. And what God's saying is, 
I want you to pray for Babylon, this wicked nation that has nothing in common with you. This nation says you will bow down to the idol. This nation has given you bad names as your own personal name. This nation that says this is what's going to be. I want you praying for them. And then we also notice what God expects is that I want you to make a future there. I want you to have families. I want your kids to grow up and have kids. I want you to think about this. You're going to be here 70 years. I don't want you just to be sitting like a prisoner with this cup going against the bar, just saying, get me out of here. I've got some plans for you. This is what I expect for you to do while you're in this land. And through all this, he did not want them to forget your home is not Babylon. You're building houses, you're having families, you're making Babylon better. And when history is written, Babylon is better because Judah was there. But don't forget, that's not your home. Your home is Jerusalem. That's where you belong. Now, isn't that the same for us? Isn't that the same for us? We need to learn the lesson about how to live here and how to live there. Because it's very similar for us today. We live in a culture that doesn't appreciate our values. We live in a time where people do not understand what we do. Different definitions, different understandings. And so when we think about heaven being our home, Paul would say in the book of Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 2, set your mind on things above. That idea of setting would be, would be like a mariner who sets his course. Today we think about a pilot. Who sets his destination. Paul says our destination is going to be heaven. Fix yourself upon that. Think about those things. And yet while we're here, how are we to act? And these past 20 months have shown us worldwide how some of the citizens act. Rioting, burning buildings lawlessness, and what's not done physically is done through social media. A lot of things put on social media by brethren have not been helpful. Our attitudes about masks, our attitude about vaccines, our attitude about COVID, all of those things have been manifested during this time period. And so when we look at Jeremiah and we see this letter the prophet wrote, you're not in your homeland now. How are you supposed to behave? We see a parallel for us. How are we supposed to behave as we think about this? So while we are here, we're supposed to be a blessing. We're supposed to be a blessing. And we do that by making improvements. Because of us, the planet is better. Because of us, this nation is better. That's the point we need to see. You take a wicked Babylon and you put in a godly Judah and all of a sudden Babylon became a little bit brighter. You take a wicked America or a wicked world and you put godly brethren in there, all of a sudden things become just a little bit better because of that. And so how do we do this? We do this by number one, by being stewards of what God has blessed us with. You will, let's turn in our Bibles. Let's, let's talk about two of them. I got some more I'll show you here on the screen here in just a moment. But look with me in the book of Luke, chapter 4. One of the stewardship we're supposed to have is with God's word. And Luke, chapter 4, shows us a powerful way we need to see this. In Luke, chapter 4, 
and verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Stop there for a moment. We don't use the word custom very much. What that word means is habits. Now, when we think of habits, we always think of bad habits. Here's a guy that eats with his elbows on the table. Didn't your mama teach you anything? That's a bad habit, we would say. Or a little guy interrupts when his mom and dad are talking. Now, that's, that's a bad habit, we would say. But Jesus had good habits. Do you see that? Now, we got to stop right there, don't we? We got to stop right there and think about that. Am I knowing by other people for having good spiritual habits? And I went to, we hear this a lot when we go to funerals. We see a person lying there, and sometimes we say, he looks so natural. I told my wife once, if I ever look like that, just wake me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know? I mean, I've been to a funeral of a farmer, and there he was in his bib overalls. And people say, he looks so natural. Been to the funeral of a lot of preachers, and he has a preaching Bible right there in his hands. Looked like he could just get up and start preaching. He looks so natural. What's natural for you spiritually? Jesus, verse 16, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. Now, verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it's written. Stop there. How many times in the Bible class? Sean, I'm sure you've heard this a few times. You're teaching a Bible class and somebody, oh, 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 Sean, Sean, Sean. Um, I don't know where it's at. It's in the Bible somewhere, but it says something like this. And you think, I've read that book a hundred times. It's not in there, friend. But it's in there somewhere. I know it's in there. Notice what the passage says. Jesus found the place. Years ago, I bought this brand new Bible. Because my preaching Bible, the pages fell out. And it just wasn't going to work. You know, you can't stand up there and there goes Isaiah on the floor. It doesn't work too good, you know? <laughs> So, so this Bible at this bookstore, the salesman came to me and said, this Bible is guaranteed for life. I said, sign me up. That's what I need. You know what happened after two months? Book of Luke went right on the floor. I said, dude. So I took it up. I went. I waited until that guy showed up at work. And I said, hey, do you remember me? He said, I sure do. I said, looky here. Here's my Bible and here's Luke. I said, this is supposed to be guaranteed. He said, do you preach? I said, yeah. He said, where? I said, Church of Christ. I can't guarantee you your Bible. <laughs> I said, how come? I said, your guarantee stinks. How come? He says, because you use your Bible. <laughs> you see, Jesus found the place. Now, also notice here, he quotes a passage here. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. Only God closes the book. There are folks today who want this book to still be open. I want to add a few more pages in here. You can't do that. God opens the book. God closes the book. And so when we think about being stewards, we got to be stewards of this. They used to say a long time ago, now we don't hear these stories anymore, but we'd have two neighbors fussing. One would be a Baptist and one would be a Methodist. And they're fussing about the Bible. And they'd go get a third neighbor, member of the Church of Christ. They know the Bible. 
and they'd sell that argument. Now, we don't hear that much anymore, do we? One reason is because people don't talk about the Bible anymore. They simply don't care. But again, as we think about this concept, we being stewards, we have to know this book. We have to use this book. And we have to understand this book, how important it is. I think likewise, we are stewards of God's kingdom, God's church. We have a model back home we use. Leave the place better than you found it. Now, let's start off literally, because somebody be leaving the church building, there's a piece of paper on the floor, and they just kind of walk by, pick it up, you know? Well, I'm not the janitor. I don't care. Pick it up. There's a songbook on the floor. Pick it up. Leave the place better than you found it. But what we really need to think is spiritually. Because someday you and I are going to be out of here. Is this church going to be stronger than when we came in? Is this church going to be in better position than when I come in? Now, it doesn't just happen from pixie dust falling down from heaven. It happens by every member stepping up and doing what God wants them to do. But now, notice a couple of verses here as we think about this idea. Psalms 24 would say, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And again, the book of Psalms, chapter 50, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The very next verse says, I know every bird of the mountains. And everything that moves in the field is mine. The idea from all of that is take care of these things. Because we are to make improvements by doing these things. And how we do that is by being better examples. Now, on your note card, you got a little series here. I don't have this on my screen, but I want to tell you what these are. First of all, by being obedient citizens. Obedient citizens. Romans 13, that's what it talks about. It doesn't mean obey just if the Republican's in office. It doesn't say obey just if I like who is the president. It doesn't say obey if the rules are convenient to me. There's rules I don't like. There's speed limits. I think there's a lot of folks in Phoenix who, who can't read numbers because I've been driving your highways. And I was like, man, speed limit says 55. I'm going 80. I'm about to die. You know? <laughs> obey as being obedient citizens. The next one by being honest workers. And let's grab that passage, the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is going to be a real issue in our society today. How many places do we go to? Be easier to say, how many places can you go to? Do not see a hiring sign. They are everywhere. And in Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 23 and following, he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord whom you serve. You see that idea there? All through this is emphasizing the type of honestly we're supposed to be. The next one, praying for your leaders. Now that's what Jeremiah told him in that letter. Pray for Babylon. Pray for America. Pray for Biden. Pray for the legislature. Pray for your governor. That's what God wants us to do. The next one, walk in integrity in our interactions with others. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be honest. Don't be caught up in lying and fudging things and trying to get out of things. Be a person of honesty if God wants you to. Showing the heart of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 15 says, Have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus. And then raise a godly family. 
That's how we become better stewards. That's how we make this place a better place. That's how we become a blessing here. And that's what God was telling his people. Now, you're going to go away to a foreign country, and they're not going to worship the way you worship. They don't talk the language you talk. They don't do what you do. But you are to be a blessing in that land. It's no different for us today. When I lived in Kansas City, there were several places throughout the city that you'd find things like that. And that just looks like a grassy hill there. But actually, what that is is an old wagon trail. The Santa Fe, the Oregon Trail, the Mormon Trail, they went right through Kansas City. And there are places where you still see the ruts where the old wagons went through a long time ago. What those wagons did is they left their mark. And that's what you need to do. Are you students in school, when your teacher's career is over, you think about your teacher having 20, 25, 30 students every year, and she teaches 30 or 40 years, she will have hundreds of students go across in her classrooms. You be the type of person that she never forgets. Not because you got straight A's, not because you're the all-star in that class, but because of your character, your honesty, your kindness, your godliness, you leave a mark and do that. For those of us that work, for those of us that are retired, you think about that. If you've done your job as God wants you to do, they may still talk about you, even though you're not there anymore. And what they're saying is a good thing. I remember this guy, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he never complained. When, when, when someone else was kind of bogged down, he would jump in and help them. He would stay after to help other people. They left that impression at work. It's the same thing with this church. You're not going to be here forever. And some have already gone since I was here last time. Gone to the other side. What do we remember about them? Oh, brother so-and-so. I remember his name, but I don't remember much about him. Be the person that leaves their mark. Got your Bible. Turn with me to John 14. I got just a little bit more to say, but every time I hold a meeting, I've got, I just got to find a way to stick this in. And this is the only place this week I can stick this in, so I'm going to do it right now. I have found even among our people, that we have such a fear of death. We don't want to talk about it. We don't understand it. And when one of us gets to go, it's like it's the most tragic, horrible things that could ever happen. Oh, Brother Smith died last night. Things could not be worse than that. And what it is is we don't really understand the biblical concept of death. So John 14, if you will, verse 2 and verse 3. It says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now stop there for a moment. Do you get the old King James Version? It says, in my father's house are many mansions. I preached it that way for a long, long time before I figured this out. See, when my wife and I first got married, I thought she had money and she thought I had money. <laughs> we were poor, the poor could be. And one of the things we used to do when we lived in Indianapolis is we'd drive up to the north side of Indianapolis where there's a lot of big old mansions. And we'd drive around, and I'd see a mansion and say, honey, that's going to be mine in heaven. And we'd drive a little bit farther, and she'd see this beautiful Victorian house. That's going to be mine in heaven. And boy, I believed that for years, and I preached and preached and preached that. But then I started thinking about that. 
That doesn't make a lot of sense. If Mitch is over here in his mansion and Sean's over here in his mansion and Stan's over here, guess what? We're not together. That's not what the Bible says. What this passage really means is in my father's house are many rooms. And I believe there's at least three rooms that I know of. One room is right through that door there. That's when you're in your mother's womb. You are a person and you are alive. And you just go through a door called birth. You come into this room where we call life. Then you go through that door called death and you just go into the other room. That's where Jesus is. And so all death is is the opposite of birth. It gets us from one room to the other room. And we want to be in that next room because all this junk in this world today is not going to be in that room. It stays here. And so all death is, it's just a door. And we got to quit looking at that ugly door. We got to quit thinking about it. It's just a door. It's nothing more. And it gets, now swings one way. You don't meet anybody and say, what did you do on the weekend? Well, I went to work. And what did you do? Well, I went fishing. What did you do? Well, I died and I came back. That never happens. It swings one way. But we need to understand all it is is a door. My dear daddy died in January. He was 95 years old. You know where my dad's at? He's in the other room. That's all he is. He's in the other room. And when you start thinking it that way, it's not that bad. Where do I want to be? I want to be in that room. I got to get out of this room. I got to get in that room. But there's only one way I can get in that room. I got to go through that door. And so that's what death is. So when we think about leaving a mark, leaving an impression at school, at work, in church, in your family, a, a, an impression of life and how important it is. But in doing all this, just as Jeremiah told the people, we can't lose sight of heaven. Because as we sing that song, this world is not our home. And so this is going to be reflected in the way we treat others, demonstrating how we care for others. And this is going to be shown in how we bring others to the Lord and our serving of other people. Again, it is a balance. A balance between here and there. Last night we talked about the balance between the ropes and the rags, the truth and compassion, grace and works. They all kind of fit together in God's divine balance. The great writer C.S. Lewis said this. He says, if you read history you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next world. It is when Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become ineffective in this world. And so well, here's what that means, I believe. What it means is to be so concerned about earth that we miss heaven, that makes us conform to this world. We become worldly-minded. Soon as the amen is said, all we're doing is talking about the weather, the ball games, this, that, earthly, 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 earthly. Very little spiritual conversation. Very little spiritual interest. And so sometimes we can be too earthly bound. But then to be so heavenly focused that we don't care about others is to miss the purpose of Jesus. What was Jesus doing? He's helping people. He fed hungry bellies. He healed diseased limbs. He raised the dead. He brought hope to people. And we need to do that. It's like one guy said, he says, some people are so earthly focused that they're, no they're of no earthly good. And we got to remind ourselves that's not that way. We are to be a blessing here while we long for that heavenly home. And I believe we do that by living as if we have one foot already in heaven. 
we're really living in two worlds. I want to be in that room, but I'm living here now. And while I'm living here now, I've got to live for Jesus. And while I'm living here now, I've got to make that a difference. I've got to put that first in my life. If it's not first in my life, when I go through that door, it may not be what I want. It may not be what I thought it would be. It may not be with Jesus. Because if I don't have time for Jesus here, there won't be any time for Jesus there. I've got to make time for Jesus and put him first in my life by doing all the things that he wants me to do. And that's the concept we need to see as we think about this lesson. Do you remember that movie Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks? And it's about the space mission. And they're supposed to go to the moon. And they're blasting off. They went up there and they were trying to do something with the oxygen tanks and it had an explosion. And all of a sudden they realized they weren't going to make it. They realized that there's a problem. And all NASA's trying to do is figure out how to get them back. And there's a part of that movie when they're closer to the moon than they are the Earth. And they see the moon real close in that little window. And Earth is way off in the distance. Tom Hanks asked the other two astronauts, gentlemen, what are your intentions? And they said, we want to go home. We want to go home. And that should be our heart as well. We should want to go home through that door where the Lord is and take as many people as we can to go with us. Heaven is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But before we get there, God has something he wants you to do. While we live in this land, and we can complain all day long about how wicked this country is, and we can talk about how everything's broken, how nothing's right, and just, and just be part of the problem, or we can be that light that shines as God wants us to. While Judah was in Babylon, they were a blessing. May it be said of you, while you lived in this world, you were a blessing. A blessing to the people you worked with. A blessing in your neighborhood. A blessing to this church. A blessing to your family. You made a difference because God had expectations and you did what God wanted you to do. That's the idea we're wanting you to see here. This evening, if you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. Got to be baptized because Jesus said so. Got to be baptized because that's what the apostles preached. Got to be baptized because that's the Bible way. There's no way around that. There's no way that you can sell enough Girl Scout cookies to go to heaven. There's no way that you can save all the kittens in the world and God's going to get you to heaven. Those things are nice, but they're not going to do it. You can't sit in a pew enough times to go to heaven. You will never be good enough. I've had people come up to me and say, Brother Roger, I don't think I'm a good enough Christian. I said, amen, you're not. Neither am I. If it wasn't for God, none of us would make it. His grace is what saves us. But he has expectations. You know, as we get close to the holidays, some of you moms and grandmas will put some presents under the tree, and you may put a little tag on there. Do not open until December 25th. What does that mean? It's your present. I want to open it now. It's Thanksgiving time. No, there is a condition here. God's going to save you, but there's a condition. You've got to believe with all your heart. You've got to change your ways. You, you can't be part of this world. This world is going the wrong direction. This world's using the wrong words, the wrong definitions, following the wrong God. You've got to follow Jesus Christ. And then what you need to do is be baptized for the remission of your sins. Be immersed. And then realize you, even you, 
can be a blessing to this world. Some of you, because of age, because things in life, a lot of things you can't do. But you know what you can do? You can walk in this building with a smile. And, and you ever notice how if you smile, everybody else smiles. You know? We walk in this place and a lot of us are beat up from the world. We've been at work, we've been at school, and like, ugh, we got our tail dragging between our legs, and you know, here we go. I'm just gonna listen to this guy holler at me for an hour. This is terrible, you know. But you walk in and there's someone smiling at you. You say, thank you. Well, what did I do? You lifted my spirits. You smiled. Somebody shakes your hand and say, I was thinking about you today. I said a prayer about you. For me? Yes, I did. You see, be a blessing. A blessing in this church, a blessing in your family, a blessing at school, a blessing at work, everywhere you go. I guarantee you tomorrow at school, if you go in there and, and after your class, you say to your teacher, hey, I prayed about you last night. Your teacher will probably fall out of her chair. <laughs> you prayed about me? Yeah, I did. I was thinking about you, teacher, last night, and I prayed about you. Because that makes a difference. So that's what we're thinking about. While you're in a foreign land, here's what God wants you to do. And that's us today. If we can help you, why don't you come and stand as we sing.